Welcome to Take This Poem Podcast, where we explore the rich, wild things that good poems can do in the everyday lives of ordinary folks. I'm your host, Mary Guidis. Whether you're a longtime poetry lover like I am, or just barely interested, I invite you to take this poem. I hope it amends the soil of your life. Hello, poetry friends. My name is Keith Hansen, and Mary has kindly granted me the opportunity to bring you a poem for the season we're about to enter. It's called To Autumn, and was written by the English Romantic poet John Keats. Keats died in 1821 at the age of 25, and, well, if you want to hear more about the literary movement called Romanticism in general, or the English Romantic poets in particular, You'll find Mary's discussion with Carrie Adams in episode 39 of the podcast very helpful. I first encountered this poem years ago in my early 20s when I was taking some introductory lit classes in college. I didn't come to really appreciate and enjoy poetry until much later in life. But even back then, this poem caught my attention and I've kept it as a favorite ever since and can't help but think of it every year when we begin to turn from summer to fall. I've read over the years that some critics refer to this poem as one of the most nearly perfect poems ever written in the English language. I'd like to read the poem now and would suggest that for the moment, perhaps you might just want to listen primarily for the richness of the visual images and the sounds, both the sounds that Keats refers to in the poem and the sounds of the words and rhythm he uses to construct the poem. It's written in three stanzas, so I'll pause very briefly between the first and second stanza and between the second and third in order to help orient us as to where we are in the poem as it moves along. To Autumn season of mists and mellow fruitfulness, close bosom friend of the maturing sun, conspiring with him how to load and bless with fruit the vines that round the thatch eaves run, to bend with apples the mossed cottage trees and fill all fruit with ripeness to the core, to swell the gourd and plump the hazel shells with a sweet kernel to set budding more and still more later flowers for the bees until they think warm days will never cease for summer has o'erbrimmed their clammy cells. Who hath not seen thee oft amid thy store? Sometimes whoever seeks abroad may find thee sitting careless on a granary floor thy hair soft lifted by the winnowing wind, or on a half-reaped furrow sound asleep, drowsed with the fume of poppies, while thy hook spares the next swath and all its twined flowers. And sometimes like a gleaner thou dost keep steady thy laden head across a brook, or by a cider press with patient look thou watchest the last oozings hours by hours. Where are the songs of spring? 
I, where are they? Think not of them, thou hast thy music too. While barred clouds bloom the soft dying day and touch the stubble plains with rosy hue, then in a wailful choir the small gnats mourn among the river sallows, borne aloft or sinking as the light wind lives or dies. And full-grown lambs loud bleat from hilly bourne, hedge crickets sing, and now with treble soft the red breast whistles from a garden croft and gathering swallows twitter in the skies. Well, that is such a feast for the ear and the mind's eye. The first stanza is really about the summer, bringing growth and ripeness to nature and spilling it like an overflowing cornucopia into the lap of early autumn. The stanza is just crammed with images, lavish almost to the point of surplus. We can hardly imagine 11 lines containing more imagery of fullness than what Keats has packed into them. The language of the second stanza lets up a bit as Autumn, who Keats now more specifically presents to us as a person, works its way through this bountiful harvest and is so filled by it that he or she's become lethargic. Kind of like me when the tryptophan kicks in after a giant turkey dinner at Thanksgiving. First comes a great crescendo of summer growth, then the toil of the harvest and the enjoyment of the harvest plenty, followed by a kind of dreamy, satisfied drowsiness. We're no longer racing to get the hay in before the rains come. There's time now to just sit and watch the last oozings drip slowly from the cider press. Sounds good to me. In the final stanza, we see autumn dying into what will soon be winter. But there is beauty even in this stage of the year's life. In a letter to a friend, Keats said that it was walking through stubble fields or plains, as he says in the poem, in late fall that first prompted him to write this poem. Almost all the great riotous energy that propelled the growth cycle in spring on through summer has now been spent. But there's still music here, too, at the end of autumn, from the wailful choir of small gnats to lambs, crickets, robins, and twittering swallows, each with their fall song to sing. This poem was, in a way, Keats' own personal autumn song. In less than a year and a half, he would succumb to the tubercular bacteria that was already growing in his lungs when he wrote the poem in September of 1819. So here's the poem one more time. Thanks for listening, and I hope that Keats has helped a bit in giving us eyes and ears to relish this beautiful season of the year, this season of life. To Autumn. Season of mists and mellow fruitfulness, close bosom friend of the maturing sun. Conspiring with him how to load and bless with fruit the vines that round the thatch eaves run. To bend with apples the mossed cottage trees and fill all fruit with ripeness to the core. To swell the gourd 
and plump the hazel shells with a sweet kernel to set budding more and still more later flowers for the bees until they think warm days will never cease for summer has o'erbrimmed their clammy cells. Who hath not seen thee oft amid thy store? Sometimes whoever seeks abroad may find thee sitting careless on a granary floor, thy hair soft lifted by the winnowing wind, or on a half-reaped furrow sound asleep, drowsed with the fume of poppies, while thy hook spares the next swath and all its twined flowers. And sometimes like a gleaner thou dost keep steady thy laden head across a brook, or by a cider press, with patient look, thou watchest the last oozings hours by hours. Where are the songs of spring? Aye, where are they? Think not of them. Thou hast thy music too. While barred clouds bloom the soft dying day and touch the stubble plains with rosy hue, then in a wailful choir the small gnats mourn among the river sallows, borne aloft or sinking as the light wind lives or dies. And full-grown lambs loud bleat from hilly bourne, hedge crickets sing, and now with treble soft the redbreast whistles from a garden croft, and gathering swallows twitter in the skies. Part of my vision for this podcast was to have it be interactive, I pictured a virtual bonfire poetry reading where friends, family, local poets, and you can come together to warm our hands on some poetry. If there's a poem that has done some action in your everyday life, surprised you, delighted you, or maybe just more quietly worked its way into your bones, you know I would love to hear about it. Email me at takethispoempodcast at gmail.com and let me know your story. Maybe you can join me in sharing it with others as well.